Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Today, I want to talk about seven solid tips that will change your life. That's not hyperbole. If you take this podcast seriously and if you, for extra credit, if you read the article from which the podcast comes, you can get, you can find tremendous help through the listening of the podcast and the reading of the article. And then for a triple bonus, if you we take this article and share it with a friend, uh, it could do some fantastic things in your relationships. Now, husband, I would appeal to you that if you would talk to your wife about these things, you don't have to read the entire article to your wife, but you can share the highlights and get into these seven tips, it would be a wonderful opportunity for you to lead your family. If your children are old enough, it would be great to sit them down and have a similar conversation. It would be a wonderful family opportunity to mature in grace, knowledge, application of the gospel in your life. Also, it would be beneficial for you to have this discussion within a small group. I'm just Throwing out some ideas there, different relational contexts that could benefit. The key with all of those is that community is involved because a community is critical when it comes to life change. Having a courageous group of grace-filled disciple makers who are willing to speak into each other's lives and be transparent, vulnerable, honest with each other, it can truly be transformative. I want to say thank you to Nancy, one of my mastermind students, who sent me a note today saying that she had an opportunity to teach a Sunday school class, and she used my book, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook, as her curriculum, and I'm so glad that she did that. I was so encouraged to hear about it. I like hearing from people who tell me different ways God is using this book in their lives. Change Me. It is a 34-chapter book that walks through the change process. Honestly, it is the heart of our ministry. If you want to take the nearly 2,000 articles from our website and condense them down into one book, it is this book. And if you want a book on the change process, well, I would encourage you to get it. As I told Nancy that this book, uh, it's not just read it once and be done with it, but it is a manual that you can pull off the shelf at any point, and you don't have to read it from cover to cover. I would encourage you to do that the first time. Just read through the entire book, but then use it after that as a uh, reference manual. If you want to learn about communication, dive into those chapters. If you have marriage issues, then jump jump in the marriage portion. If it's about forgiveness and some tra- aspects of transformation, then do that. Sufficiency of Scripture, well, that would be at the beginning. Uh, but the book would be very helpful. In fact, one lady uh, sent a note, and she said, I can't read it fast enough. God has revealed so many things, she said, so many areas in her life. If you want to get the book, you can go on Amazon and order it, and they will ship it to your door, or you can order it for a friend and ship it to their door. Either way, that would be great. But Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. Again, this article is titled, Seven Solid Tips That Will Change Your Life. And the reason that I wrote this article, and I want to share it with you, is because being a believer does not keep sin from trying to capture you. The idea of capture comes from Galatians 6.1, 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them. And that is the nature of sin. It wants to capture you. It wants to capture me. Regeneration, being born again, when God saves you, that's the way that you get to heaven. But you need more than regeneration to live victoriously while on earth. Learning how to appropriate the gospel to your sanctification is vital for you to live well in God's world. You can think of salvation, and this is one of the illustrations that I use, is when God saves you, he brings you into the house, into the house where the house, uh, his body, where all the family is. But that just gets you in the door. Uh, You're secure. You will go to heaven. It's a one-and-done deal when God regenerates you, when you are born a second time. But stepping in the door and being part of the family does not automatically make you mature. It doesn't. In fact, it makes you a babe, a baby, a baby in Christ, an infant. That's how we all come into the family as spiritual infants. And therefore, we need, the way that I say it here in this podcast is we need more than salvation. I'm not diminishing salvation, but actually I'm expanding full salvation Part of salvation is being regenerated, but another aspect of salvation is this idea of progressive sanctification, growing up in Christ. And that's what I mean when I say you need more than regeneration, because you need to learn how to live well on this earth, because sin is trying to capture you. It's not, it, it, it was one of my It was one of my earliest, I call it my disappointments with God. It was one of my earliest disappointments with God. After he regenerated me on whatever day it was, I remember the day after that I sinned. One of the reasons that I wanted to become a Christian was to stop sinning. That's why it was so disappointing. I was ignorant. I didn't know anything about the Bible, definitely. And so when I sinned the next day, I was surprised. It's like, why did I do that? Why do I keep on sinning? Well, it's important to know that sin doesn't stop. Sin doesn't say, hey, you just got saved, so I'm just going to leave you alone for the rest of your life. Not going to happen. Like hordes of minions advancing on our lives, sin is the ever-present nemesis that never leaves us alone. There are no breaks from the fallenness of humanity. Sin is a pervasive curse where no one is safe. Let's paint an even dirtier picture. It could be that you've listened to that previous paragraph about my hordes of minions advancing on our lives, and you agreed, but did not thoroughly perceive sin's encroachments into your life. Not just our lives, but your life, you as an individual. Sin is not just a nasty thing in our world as though it is out there and all we need to do is triple lock our doors. Sin is not an enemy that you can sweep under the rug to be free from its nasties. Sin is more than external or cultural contamination. Sin is an enemy within us. Theologians call this the doctrine of total depravity. R.C. Sproul said it this way, 
Total depravity means that I and everyone are depraved or corrupt in the totality of our being. There is no part of us that is left untouched by sin. Our minds, our wills, and our bodies are affected by evil. R.C. Sproul continues to say, We speak sinful words, do sinful deeds, have impure thoughts. Our very bodies suffer from the ravages of sin. That's R.C. Sproul on this idea, the doctrine of total human depravity. Sin has gained a total victory over all humanity. It has done a complete and comprehensive job on us. It is worse than a conquering nation where the people submit to the leader's control by force and manipulation. Sin has not only conquered the nation and is forcing it to submit, but it has brainwashed the people within its borders, causing them to give allegiance to all its schemes. We're no longer forced to submit any, anymore. We actually want to submit. Hitler tried to conquer countries, but he could not control the resistance of the people within those countries. Sin has conquered humanity and made the inhabitants to consume its deadly poison. Now we salute sin's flag, volitionally, our own choice, because we want to. Sin's total control of our lives is an inside-out victory. I know this is dark. I know this can be discouraging, but it is important that you understand the nature of the enemy of your soul. Paul said it this way in Romans 5.12, Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. In James 1.14.15, James said, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, here it is, by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the LSD passage. Lust is conceived in the heart. Then sin is brought forth, and death is the end result. Paul said in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And once sin finishes with us, we die. From beginning to end, we're tired and feathered and then condemned to die. Let me put one last dirty brushstroke on this ever-darkening canvas. It's the coup de grace. God is against us too. The Lord hates sin, therefore he hates us. God is not timid about releasing his wrath, his justified anger, his justified wrath on any person who insists on enjoying their sin. That's what he said. In fact, I would encourage you to read John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's my last brushstroke on this ever-darkening canvas. Now, may we come up for air? Can we focus on the good news in this tragic drama? 
One of the many differences between the Lord and the devil is the Lord gives us an escape plan. Praise God. Though he cannot change and will not change his view on sin, he can judge it. He can judge it on his son, not on you. And as he's judging it on Jesus Christ, he can save you at the same time. Simultaneous actions. God is justified and his wrath comes down, but now it is on his son. You can escape the wrath that is supposed to be on you, and you can be regenerated and born again. Rather than being a distant bystander who punishes the sinners, the Lord chose to enter our world to become like us so he could accept our punishment on himself. I am describing to you the gospel, the best news that you will ever hear. The Lord does not want what the devil wants. He he wants to see people free from sin's tentacles. He wants to reverse the curse. And he has done this for all those who believe. If God has regenerated you by his power, you know this to be true. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have found a way through the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to live in the quaking fear of sin and death. You have escaped the wrath that is currently abiding on all who don't believe, as I shared earlier from John 3.36, and also the future wrath that will bind them throughout eternity. In Revelation 20.15, for whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Your problem is not their problem if you are a believer. If you are a believer, you have a different kind of challenge. Namely, how do you appropriate the freedom and the power of the gospel into your life every day? Because sin continues to attempt to capture you. It's our ever-present enemy, even though we have experienced the reverse of the curse and salvation. But you have not experienced perfection in your sanctification. Though God has regenerated you at a point in time, your full salvation is not complete. What you have is a secure and eternal spot with the Lamb around the throne, but you're still fighting remaining sin in your life today, and that is why Paul said in Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul is appealing to the Christians. He's not appealing to the non-Christians. He's talking to the regenerated people, the born-again set. And he's telling them, put off your former manner of life that they have brought into their Christian experience. They are free, but they are not entirely free. They are born again but they still have to resist, put off, renew their minds. There are still habituations, patterns, methods, processes that belong to how they used to live when they were non-Christians, and that's the same for you and me. We have brought old habituations, old patterns and methods and processes into our Christian experience, and we need to learn how to Put those things off. 
Just because God saved you by his power, you are not free from sin's allurements. Your heart is not wholly pure. And your culture still has ways of enticing you. Trusting the Lord in your sanctification is harder in a way, than believing him in your salvation. The reason is that salvation is a point-in-time event, but sanctification is a daily, moment-by-moment experience for the Christian. The Lord calls you to enter into death at salvation and to continue to live in that death daily until he calls you home. And your temptation is similar to mine not to live in the victory the Lord calls you to. When sin is relentless, whether through your relationships or your personal defeats, you're easily distracted from the gospel, which leads back to the old patterns. Those, those old patterns that we bring into our salvation, they may, be, they may feel somewhat dormant, but if you haven't taken care of them entirely, they're there and they're waiting for you and When the relationship becomes difficult or the defeats happen in your life, you're easily distracted, and it will lead back to those old processes, those old methods, those old ways of doing things. And so Paul is appealing to you to put off those old ways. You're not supposed to fight the way you used to because your weapons for warfare are not of human means. Your weapons today, because you are of the born-again set, they are divine. You have divine power, as he said in 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, not like humans. But we have divine power to destroy strongholds. What Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 10, stop fighting the way you used to fight. We can fight differently now because God is in us and greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. I suppose at this point, I'm, 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 I should say something about insanity. You know what insanity is. If you do the same thing over and over again and get the same negative results, well, that's the definition of insanity. Sin is insanity because it's not God's way of doing things. And so if you are fighting with fleshly weapons, fleshly warfare, if you're fighting in your humanness, Stop it. That is not the way you're supposed to fight. That would be insanity. The Lord is perfect. To deviate from his perfect standard is a biblical definition of insanity. To miss the mark of God's mind on a matter. But he is the only one who is perfect. He is the only one who is perfectly sane. Not to think the way that he thinks is crazy, and we're all a little bit crazy, even the most balanced, biblically mature among us, because sin will not leave any of us alone. What this means for the Christians is we have to learn new ways of doing things. We don't want to do the the same thing over and over again, those futile and darkened ways that we have smuggled into our Christianity Let me share with you a few old ways that leads to this cyclic insanity in our lives because we are fighting in our flesh. For example, here are four illustrations. Oversleeping as a way to hide from your problems. Overeating as a way to feel better when anxious. 
See, Paul says we have these old patterns, old habituations, old ways of fighting that we have brought into our Christian experience. And we don't fight like humans. We have divine power. We have different tools. We have a different toolbox, and we fight in a different way. But sometimes we revert to old ways, like oversleeping. That's the way that I'm going to fight? Well, that's the way the humans fight, not the spiritual people. And so I oversleep as a way to hide from problems. I overeat as a way to feel better when anxious. I overspend as a way to find comfort when lonely. I overworry as a way to think about my problems. Every way that is not God's way is an old way that needs to change. The way to know if it's is God's way or not is you can ask the trust question. Here it is. Am I trusting the Lord? Or am I trusting myself as I interact with this person or that problem? The means you use to engage a situation is either right or wrong. If it's wrong, it's an old way, which is probably an old habit that needs to be broken and replaced with true righteousness. They say you can't teach old dogs new tricks. Now, that may be true if the old dogs are operating without the power of the gospel. What I do know is that you can teach Christians who find themselves habituated in old patterns new ways to live. The biggest key is being aware of what you're doing while discerning if it is a good or bad way of doing it. This process of awareness and discernment, being aware of what you're doing and discerning if it is a good way of doing it, this process of awareness and discernment is not an exercise that I recommend you do in a vacuum. Because of the pervasiveness of the sin problem that I mentioned earlier, that dirty canvas that I was painting for about 10 minutes, you should, because of that, you should have a, an appropriate biblical self-suspicion when thinking about yourself. Be careful of the overconfident person. Be alarmed if that person is you. When we are cocksure of our conclusions without the weighing of those conclusions in the presence of friends, there is a chance our assumptions will be wrong. At the heart of biblical decision-making is a biblical community of trusted friends. There is safety in a multitude of good friends. And the wise person knows this and is delighted to have his interpretations weighed because he holds them loosely. Let me be clear here. I don't trust myself in every matter of life. I can have a tenacious self-loyalty that bends things to my advantage and preferences. The person that I'm most loyal to is myself. For a person like me, there are seven clear steps to begin the process of changing bad habits and it's why I titled this podcast, Seven Solid Tips That Will Change Your Life. These are in sequential order. Let me share them with you. Number one, be humble. That's always the beginning. Number two, out of that humility comes self-suspicion. Don't trust yourself. Not entirely. Number three, be transparent. Number four, be willing. Willing to share your thoughts. So be humble, be self-suspicious, be transparent. Number four, be willing to share your thoughts. Number five, be communal. Number six, be entreatable, be teachable. Invite people to speak into your life. And then number seven, be ready. Be ready to change.
If you are these ways, humble, self-suspicious, transparent, sharing your thoughts, communal, entreatable, ready to change, you're in an excellent spot to mature in Christ. These thoughts and responses flow out of a humble heart that God's empowering favor has saturated. That's James 4, 6. You know it well. God only gives empowering favor to the humble. That's why humility is at the head of the list. It's the first thing. The humble person is the owner of appropriate self-suspicion. If you are humble, then you are a little bit suspicious of your thoughts because humility will allow you, permit you to do that. The proud person will not be self-suspicious. The proud person will be adamant, dogmatic, but the humble person is the owner of appropriate self-suspicion, which leads to a willingness to be transparent. You see, when you have this biblical self-suspicion working in your life, you are going to be somewhat transparent with others. And because of the humility, there's an ability to receive feedback that may be different from what you were thinking. That's the entreatability part. Like a road that weaves through a town, his humility continues to empower him to want to consider more options with the goal of changing his former manner of life. An excellent way to reflect upon this list is to ask yourself if you are these things. Here here they are again. Number one, humble. Two, self-suspicious. Three, transparent. Four, willing to share your thoughts. Five, communal. Six, entreatable. Seven, ready to change. You're not asking if you manifest them perfectly because, well, I can go ahead and answer that. None of us are. But you're not looking for the perfection of these things. You're looking for the presence of them in your life? Do these things characterize you? Is there evidence of these seven graces in your life? Let me give you a final note on community as I wrap up this podcast. Though humility is the biggest key to how to change, it's crucial for you to have biblical clarity on what community means, because without community, you'll have a hard time improving your ways. Transformation won't come easy for the non-communal person. The word community comes from the word koinonia, which you have heard before, I'm sure. It means fellowship. It means participation. To have community is to have fellowship, participation, or engagement with someone. It's a symbiotic relationship with another person. Change happens in a community. What you and I want to do is to make sure the right communal influences surround us. Let me give you three imperative communal influences. Number one is the Spirit of God. You want the Spirit of God working for you, with you. You don't don't want to be grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit. And you'll do that by not listening blaming, justifying, rationalizing the things that you do. And so one of your most important communal influences is the Spirit of God. Number two, the Word of God. Well, that's obvious. I'm sure you already thought of it before I mentioned it. You need the power of God's Spirit, and you need this huge shaping influence of God's Word. And then number three, the people of God. You need appropriate, compassionate, courageous, biblical, competent people in your life speaking truth. 
The title of the podcast is Seven Solid Tips That Will Change Your Life. You can read it. I have a short video in this podcast as well, about 90 seconds, something like that, that you're welcome to watch that will help flesh this out. I also have three other articles that will serve you very well, and I would encourage you to read those if you want to spend more time on this issue. If you really want to transform, then invest the time in it. Here's a couple things for you to think about. What are some specific habit patterns do you have in your life that are part of your old manner of responding to life? And then more importantly, or just as important, what are you doing to break these evil patterns? Number two, how active are the three elements of quantania that I mentioned? The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God. How active are these three elements of quantania helping you identify specific habit patterns in your life and Do they motivate you to change your ways? What is your practical plan for change? Do you have a practical plan for change? Will you be honest in your community? Don't hide the truth. Don't twist the truth. Don't leave out the truth. Don't bend it to where you come off looking good as you're trying to preserve your reputation. But if you truly have competent, compassionate friends, go ahead and be vulnerable. Be transparent. Be honest with them. Build that community. Instill these seven solid tips, and they will do just like the title of the podcast says. They will change your life. If you want to talk about it, jump on our website. We have forums. We're ready to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.